Are you depressed about lockdown and being shut inside and questioning your life and your choices? Then Pixar has a 2020 movie for you. Stay tuned. Hey, and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and figuring out your spark. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And welcome to Season 7 of Writers Get Animated. We're here at Episode 180. I don't know wow. why I wanted to say that. 180. Can you imagine? That's more than the original generation of Pokemon. You could assign a Pokemon from Pokemon Red and Blue to each of our episodes and still have more podcast episodes left over. Oh, how lovely. That's what a lovely thought. <laughs> so we're that podcast for new, any new listeners. Um, <laughs> welcome. Today we're talking about Pixar's Soul. Now on Disney Plus, didn't quite make it to theaters, but it was released on Christmas Day of it's so good to say this, of last year, 2020. <laughs> uh, I mean, much like how I don't personally believe that the 90s existed, there was just the late, late 80s and the early, early 2000s. Um, I'm not yet convinced that 2021 exists, so we'll see. I know, it's still very early. We're still we're still at the nascent point. Like, I don't feel like we're quite out of the birth canal I, i'm doing really <laughs> terrible hand gestures i did i'm like i don't know how to express what i'm thinking um anywho uh let's talk about well i, I suppose that's that's that works though i'm um, talking about birth and death because we're discussing P- pixar's soul which is about death and life and also pre-life <laughs> <laughs> and also being outside of that entire cycle Right. And cats. <laughs> and cats. Which was, it's a different way of looking at cats in 2020, I feel, than the other cats that 2020 gave us. Um, that was 2019. Was it? Oh, yeah. my gosh. I'm, uh, who knows? It all blends together now. <laughs> it's, all, it's all history. So for those of you who have not seen Soul yet, thank you for listening to this episode we will have a spoiler free zone for the first section where we talk about concepts and ideas and soul in general and then when we end up going deeper into oh i don't even know in, into the the meat and potatoes of things uh, we will give you a warning that we will get into spoiler territory the darkness and darkness of spoiler territory. So you can get off that moving walkway before we move into the great beyond of spoilers. That's right. And then go watch the movie and then come back and finish up the episode. Or don't. It's up to you. But uh, we will spoil things for you. Yes. So what is Soul, Mackenzie? Oh... Oh, that's a loaded question that I think the movie tries to answer um, in every sense of the word. 
Um, so Soul is a movie, obviously. It is about um, a man who has a dream. Uh, and Joe Gardner's dream is to play jazz professionally. And not just like professionally, like mid-level. He wants to be like recognized as one of the all-time greats and play with the greats. And that is his dream. He's always wanted that. But he's been teaching middle school music for a long time. Um, kind of barely paying his bills. He feels ashamed around his mom about his job and like wanting to do something more. And she kind of wants something. She wants him to settle which is kind of this foil and neither one of them, I mean, as movies go, like we find out that neither one of them really gets what they want, but they kind of do in that Pixar way. Um, and one afternoon, Joe is approached by one of his former students who is playing with one of the greats um, and is offered a chance at his dream mm. to play jazz, even just for one night with uh, Dorothea, I don't have her last name handy, but Dorothea her. Williams. Dorothea Williams. Um, and he is so excited. He wants to tell everyone, uh, but in his distraction, falls down a manhole and basically dies. Uh, Not basically. He, di- he dies. I mean, his soul leaves his body and his body's hanging on in a hospital somewhere, but he's definitely supposed to die. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so he has a corporeal form that he is no longer connected to. Um, and we join Joe on his adventure of even fighting the powers of life and death just for the one chance to play jazz. Like, he doesn't even really care that he's dead that much. He just wants to play jazz with the greats one time <laughs> before moving on to the great beyond. And he thinks that that is his purpose and what he needs to do. Uh, so he has this want and desire to regain and get back to something. Um, mm. And I think the trailer shows you one possible story. And I, I definitely want to say there's a lot more to this wacky adventure than what the trailer lets on. Uh, there's more stages of it. There's more interaction. Um, oh, I guess the other key thing is he's in his adventure. He meets up with 22 uh, is her name. And she is a pre-life soul. She's never found a reason to start living. So she's never been assigned a body in the corporeal realm. Um, And together, this man who's supposed to be dead and this soul who's never been born have to find a way back to life and getting what they want. Hmm. I think that is a good way that doesn't give some of the twists and turns away. I think that that sets up that the main question of the story for Joe as a specific character. Um, It's also, for those of you wondering what style of Pixar you get, you know, it usually runs by director. You know, you kind of have a feeling of what you might get based on the director. And this is directed by Pete Docter, who directed Monsters, Inc. and Up and Inside Out. Uh, Inside Out being my favorite Pixar film. So uh, 
he really gets into character and feelings and asks big questions, but is not afraid of making, asking those bigger questions in soft, comfortable ways, but also building interesting worlds around those questions. So creating quote, physical manifestations of concepts that help you ask the questions that we're all asking anyway. Yeah. It's a terrible way of putting any of that, but... Um, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I think that f- for me, from a very basic aesthetic standpoint, I would say that he's the Pixar director who veers the least into blank but alive as the conceit of the movie. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Toys, but alive. Cars, but alive. Bugs, but alive. And I think he starts with monsters, but alive. But he definitely took that conceit to a new unexpected place, which is why I think Monsters, Inc. was so popular at the time it came out. It was kind of breaking that Pixar formula without breaking the Pixar formula, if you will. Mm -hmm. But it was also asking questions. I feel like... Pixar movies, the ones that work the best, ask a really great question beyond the con- the concept, mm-hmm. or they build the concept around the question and use the, the question. And the more interesting the question is, the more interesting the movie is. So, you know, a movie, what if... If the if the foundation is what if cars are alive, then that that foundation and I know there are pro- there are other questions that it asks, <laughs> um, but that's what it feels like is the main question of that film. But here it, we're getting the question: What is life about? What what is the meaning of life, and what gives life meaning, and what makes a meaningful life? Yeah, and I think that ultimately kind of boils down to, like, who are you and what kind of Mm -hmm. person are you? Um, And I'll definitely get into this more in the spoiler section. But for me, for many reasons, I am really excited to, like, wait a couple months and then do a double feature night of Inside Out and Soul. Mm. Because to me, they feel like a duology, not just because they are both Pete Doctor movies. Um beyond just similarities of conceit, I think that they do have thematic similarities and they ask similar questions, but framed in different ways. Um, and I think together they say that there isn't one way to live and to find out who you are. The point of these movies is not to give you the one answer, um, but together they show you two perspectives on those questions. Hmm. And I think what helps them in their perspective is that they created two hyper-specific main characters. Yeah. Um, And going even further, I think, with Joe Gardner. Um, But knowing... uh, And this gets into something that's not quite... That's separate from the overarching story of the movie, but so much embedded in the story of the movie, (laughs) which is the fact that Joe Gardner is the first 
um, African-American main character in a Pixar film. Mm-hmm. Feels weird to say that. Um, but, but also like not just on a human being and the color of their skin level, but like <laughs> I think that anyone watching Cars or Monsters, Inc. and Toy Story can go like, yeah, these aren't humans, but and I don't mean this in a negative way. They're white characters. Mm-hmm. So it is so refreshing to get this from a new perspective. And I think that that organically kind of grew out of the story they wanted to tell. Um, and I, I forget where I read it, so I can't quote the right source here. Um, but I love that it kind of took the opposite approach of La La Land, <laughs> which I know is not animated. <laughs> Bear with me. Yes. I think La La Land is a fine movie. I don't love it. I think it's fine. One of my biggest problems is that the story itself would have been much more compelling if they just had a black main character. (laughs) Hmm. Like, you don't have to change anything else about that movie. You just change the context of the story of that movie, and it's much more interesting. And they decided not to do that because I think that they didn't want to inauthentically tell a story that they couldn't tell as white creators. And I think Pixar took the approach of we want to tell a story about your soul and we want to find a good career for this main character. How about musician? What's kind of pure and joyful jazz. We should have a jazz musician. Ooh, we should probably have a black jazz musician to make this an authentic story without just trying to force a white character into a jazz story. And I think Pixar did the right thing to tell that story in a way that is authentic. And I know, Chris, I think you have a number of notes about how they accomplished that. Yeah, they took, they actually created a cultural trust. And you could watch this in the, um, which I love about Disney Plus, you know, it still gives you the special features, the extras. They talk about the cultural trust and how they made the specificity of Joe Gardner and bringing in people about talking about the culture of Joe and his relationships with other people. It feels authentic and real. Um, Who he's interacting with, the kind of ways they talk about how he meets them, where they would be sitting, how they're having their conversations, how he greets them, you know, a kiss on the cheek to this person, what he calls them. These are all specific things that define a character that, if done right, it's, it goes with the Futurama bender. If you've done your job, it's like you've done nothing at all. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't it, it doesn't appear that you've done anything. It just happens and you see Joe Gardner. You don't think about anything else. Yeah, this is not a script or character design that relies on... Um, a long-standing, I don't want to say tradition, uh, but tradition of caricatures of black mm. people in animation. Um, it doesn't take that inauthentic thing. It it forges its own path in an authentic way that isn't relying on hurtful, um, whether intentional or not, um, bad stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed that 
when they designed him originally, they were like, here's this really good looking guy. And they were like, here's this really good looking guy and he looks perfect. And he, you know, he looks like a star. And then they designed that out of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that he doesn't look good, but he's awkward. He's lanky. You know, he has a little bit of a paunch. He's a little, has a little bit of a gut. Um, even though everything else on him is thin, you know, um, I, I know that person like he's he's built like a human and all the other characters are built in in human ways, uh, but are expanded upon and not caricatured. But um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not sonogrammed. Oh, my gosh. Why can't I think of the actual word that I mean? I'll, I'll come up with it, but, uh, well, on his, on his character design too, like one of the things that I think is so smart about designing kind of the, the handsome star power out of him too, is making him so sympathetic and relatable. And especially because he is a middle school music teacher. Like I've had that middle school teacher. Like I know who Ooh. Joe Gardner is. I can relate to him and I can make assumptions about him and his life and how he behaves based on, the little character moments we get that aren't based on his skin tone or any stereotype or racial stereotype at all. It's based on who he is as a music teacher and a middle school teacher as someone that we've all had in love. Yeah. Somebody who keeps going, even though the students aren't quite all there, he's all there. Yeah. You know, kids sucking up Skittles with his trumpet or, <laughs> <laughs> on the cell phone, like, look, I can see you. Let's keep going, you know, keep making the music. And sometimes you're doing it for that one kid that you know has something, has a, a spark, and you're you're trying to help. I just love that, that teacher in him. But also that this is what I do to eat and keep a house. And there's something that I dream of doing that will... Uh, Feed me, feed my soul. Uh, and I think food is another big thing, you know, presence in the film that we can talk about. But what feeds you? What what feeds you and what, what keeps you going? Mm-hmm. And just that moment of I'm doing it because of Connie. Like this, I'm, I'm still here because I can, I see spark in that person and I'm, I'm going to stay here and it's my part-time thing and I got plans. Even if, you know, he's he's resilient in, even though he's at that point where it's like starting to be less resilient and reality. Oh, who, uh, Jamie Foxx, who does the voice of Joe Gardner, he talks about <laughs> um, in, in one of the, the features, he talks about his own personal idea of life being that, you know, you're it's here and gone like the blink of an eye, like life is a blink of an eye. And he says that he could sense Joe feeling like that eye, that blink shutting, you know, like you're, you're done. And what have I done with my life and how have I spent my life and what I, what have I accomplished? What do I have to show for it? Hmm. 
All yeah. in a family Pixar movie, so. <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah, it is a family movie. It's, I think, approachable by all ages, but it definitely um, feels like the more grown-up side of uh, the same perspective as Inside Out. Mm-hmm. If there we have a teenager who is emotionally trying to figure herself out in her life out. Here we have a middle-aged adult kind of having that same process at the opposite end of the blink. Mm. Hmm. So do we have anything more to say about this um, this concept or the world or anything before we get into spoiler zone? I don't think so. Cause I think that there is so much of this movie that has not been shown that there's a lot of spoiler zone. So yeah. if we sold you on it and you want to watch it, go watch it recommended. Yes. I've, I've already watched it twice. So oh. I, I want, I want to watch it again, but um, thrice thrice. I would say this um, before you run off to watch it. If you haven't watched it with headphones, watch it with headphones. This movie is an, this is the one point where I sound like a reviewer. This is an aural delight. The, the sound design and the music and everything about it um, is, is gorgeous. And you don't get that effect unless you're um, watching it with some kind of great speakers system, which I do not have, or headphones, which I do have. Um, but you you get to hear everything, and it it just leaps out even more. the The world that's created with the the real life, uh, which is done with a jazz score that was improvised and written um, as the scenes were going. And the the music for the after slash before life, the other world, um, just the soundscapes and the music alone, it, it's worth listening to um, with headphones. Yeah. The the as soon as the credits were rolling, and I saw like, oh yeah, Trent Reznor worked on this. Like, oh yeah, that is a Trent Reznor soundscape. Like, that's just my favorite genre of music, personally. Um, <laughs> so good juxtaposition. Totally agree. You should hear the movie for everything it is. Mm-hmm. So good. Cool. So warning. Wee wee wee. Spoiler territory. Doing some arm movements. I'm waving the plane in. We are landing. Pause. <laughs> turn off now if you don't want a spoiler. We're warning you. Okay. There's a cat involved. That's right. I said it. There's a spoiler. There's a spoiler. I was not seeing that coming. Yeah, for some reason I didn't either. Um, I'm glad it was there. I, I'm i glad slash disappointed. Like, I think it was funny. I think it was well done. Um, hmm. I also see the meta narrative of... Like, here's another animated movie where the black main character becomes an animal for a portion of the movie. Right. For a good portion of the movie. And, and I, 
I think it's justified. I know why they did it in this movie. It's just disappointing that it fits into that meta narrative. But also the idea that Tina Fey's soul, so to speak, gets put into his body and experiences life. Mm-hmm. And if there weren't the cultural trust leading things and helping guide, and if, you know, um, if, if Kemp Powers wasn't also helping guiding, but I know that he was brought in a little bit later in development. Um, I don't think it matters where you come in development if you add a lot to the movie. And I think it's yeah. clear from his career track on this movie uh, that he did with being promoted to co-director um, and being credited as one of the writers. And if you don't know Kemp Powers, he's a Star Trek Discovery writer. So if you have that and love that, like, there you go. That's probably all you need. And I'm really excited to see his other movie he wrote for last year, One Night in Miami, which I've not seen yet. And I'm hoping that both this <laughs> and One Night in Miami wind up um, at the Academy Awards this year. Mm. I have a hard time believing that so won't. Although I don't know how that's going to work with theaters and 2020 rules. It's also bizarre. But be, be that as it may, I, I think there's... It was necessary to have Joe be outside of his body. Yes. To experience his life from the outside. So if we talk about dramaturgy, which we always do on this (laughs) podcast. Yeah, what do you mean if? (laughs) So (laughs) if you consider the dramaturgical needs of the only way for Joe to understand what his life is, is to see it from the outside. So if it's, it's a perfect Christmas movie. Soul is a perfect Christmas movie. You know, it's, it's in the long line of Christmas movies, such as it's a wonderful life. This is, it's a meaningful life. This is, it's a meaningful life. Somebody has to be outside of their life to see the worth and merit of the life they're they're living. And the only way to do that is to separate them from their life in some way. And to have no authority over that world at the same time, which is, I think, why he's in an animal so no one else can understand him. Right. But 22 can. Um, I totally agree. Dramaturgically, I see why this is here. It is necessary. It adds so much. And does it make way more sense than becoming a pigeon for the movie? Yes, 100%. Mm. I mean, like, a pigeon for no reason. I haven't seen, what's that movie? Spy? Spy Pigeon? <laughs> Spies in Spies Disguise. Spies in Disguise, yes. It's I haven't on seen Disney it. Plus, I think. Is it or really? one of those. So mm. I'm not actually casting judgment on the movie because I haven't seen it. But just the conceit of the black main character becoming a cat for a portion of the movie uh, makes more sense to me having seen soul than the black character becoming a pigeon through a science experiment for spies in disguise. And I haven't seen that. So no judgment, but just surface level, some judgment. Mm-hmm. Understood. <laughs> but so I, and I think it, 
I don't want to say it has to be an animal for it to be a family movie, to, but it adds comedy and other situations, and it, it's something that makes sense. You're not going to have a walking, talking pencil mm. or pen or a lollipop or a piece of pizza that comes to life and, you know, is Joe because his soul ends up there. It has to be physical, biological, and it can't be a baby because, you know, you know, you start throwing things out. Could it be a lizard? Could it be a snake? Could it be like what yeah. what dramaturgically could be in the ho- the hospital with Joe and also follow Joe through the whole journey and people would not question yeah i i don't want the soul of joe winding up in another person's body because that raises lots of dramaturgical questions about what they're saying in addition then it gives him power over that world which we don't want him to have and same time i don't want him to be like a incorporeal ghost type thing that 22 can hear as well because we want him to exist in that world and have that humor and comedy and not just live the trope of like one character can see a character that no one else can. Ugh. Right. So, I don't know if it was the 100% right choice for everything in our society, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it was the 100% right choice for the movie that they made. Yeah. 100% agree. If you if you look at all the dramaturgy as we just laid out, it the the one and only answer is it's either a dog or a cat, and cats are funnier. So, and even then, like it's not like Twenty Two takes his body on a spin through the kind of New York City that Joe Gardner the body doesn't live in. It still goes mm. through Joe Gardner's New York, right? And all of the diverse body types and people and culture that he exists with concurrently. Mm-hmm. And I so appreciate that scene where Joe finally is able to talk to his mom mm-hmm. and decides that he wants to have agency. And we see the camera shift and we just, we don't see the cat speaking. We see Joe speaking. Yeah. And and I so appreciate that moment. I think that scene and the other if I were to boil this movie down to two scenes that told the story of the movie, it would be that one. Yes. And the barbershop. And oh. that would be all that I keep from this movie. If I had I mean, no no no, I don't mean that in a bad way. I would keep this entire movie in an ideal world. But if you need the Cliff Notes version, barbershop, mom, done. I, I totally agree. Those two moments are um, the things that define it. Those are the main moments. Yeah. The barbershop, I think, is animated and written so lovingly. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who's completely, wholly outside of um, the barbershop scene, if you will, um, in real life. Um, it's done in a way that is approachable to people outside of that. Um, mm-hmm. while also showcasing what is to love about it and having 
diverse people of diverse skin tones and diverse body types and seeing that social element of going to the barbershop and knowing the people. But also on top of it being so compelling to experience as an animated movie, it's, I think, the emotional core of this where Joe as a character just wants to go, 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 get out of there. Like he needs to get a haircut for his corporeal form and move on. Um, and he's forced to sit back and watch 22 use his body to interact with his barber and this social life for the first time in a way that he hasn't done. And mm-hmm. he sees the other people for the dreams that they have and what they want. And perhaps he's looked down on his barber for being air quotes, just a barber. And he hears more about Des's life and why he enjoys being a barber. And it's like the pivotal turning moment for Joe of like, Oh, you can love whatever you do. Hmm. It's, it's eye opening in a natural human specific way. And I just love the what Joe has said about Des. You know, he's meant to cut hair. Like, that's his meaning in life. He's meant to cut hair. And then um, to have 22 say the things that she's heard from Joe or, or the Joe that thinks, you know, about these people, the judgments and actually put them out into the world. Like, shouldn't you be, you know, you have a terrible life because you're a barber. You want to be a veterinarian and look at you. And like, no, that's a, as they would say in Noom, that's a thought distortion. (laughs) That is a thought distortion. Look who got a Noom subscription. (laughs) One of the best things I've ever done. Um, But it, we do get these thought distortions for what we should be doing, what we think that we're meant to be doing. And the concept of becoming a lost soul um, that, that Joe is in danger of becoming because you're so blindly and doggedly pursuing one thing while missing every other possible thing. He has such blinders on that the pursuit of success as a jazz musician is in danger of becoming something that allows him to lose his soul as as opposed to express it. Yes. I was trying to think if I had something deeper to say to react to that. Yes. Um... (laughs) I skipping ahead in the movie. I think one thing that I wrestled with immediately afterward was the ending. Hmm. And this is directly related to the barbershop. Stick with me. I'm, uh, I'm following. I'm going. <laughs> um, I, I, I see why in a family movie, like sure. Joe gets a second chance and he is a special soul who gets a second chance at life. And they send him back to earth rather than moving on to the great beyond. And thanks for all he does. I see in a family movie why they do that. I kind of wrestled with that decision in the storytelling. Like why I'm not sure that I would have made the same decision. Um, and 
doing some reading with an interview in Entertainment Tonight, they talked about how they too were kind of undecided about the ending of the film (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and didn't know what to do. And they wound up choosing what they went with. And the longer I've gone since the movie, the more that I like the ending because Soul never passes a judgment as a movie on what Joe's spark is. They don't Mm. tell you. And I think that you leave the movie with your own assumptions of is Joe Spark going to be being a jazz musician now? Is he going to be with the greats? Is Joe Spark being a teacher because he was so good at it 22 um, and with his students in the classroom? Um, or is it something else? Is it food because he talks about that so much? We're not told what he finds out about himself. And I like the end of the movie that he gets a second chance and you see him walk out of his apartment, but nothing more than that, because it's clear that he's discovered a spark and he knows what it is, but they don't tell us what that is. So you have your own version of the ending leaving that movie. You take your own thing out of this story. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you felt the, the same or if this is, or if you're realizing that (laughs) I had a different perspective. I, I agree with with what you said, and I, I too did some research on how many endings did they have because it it could go. I I don't know what I would have been happy with, and I don't think uh, a, somebody once told me in writing uh, plays so like playwriting is. Uh, the play begins when the question is answered and the play ends when the, or no, wait, <laughs> the play begins when the play, when the question is asked and the play ends when the question is answered. I'm like, Oh, that, that sounds boring um, is what I thought. I'm like, that doesn't feel right to me. That feels wrong. And for me, a story begins when the question is asked and the story ends when the question is either transformed, deepened, or a new question um, takes its place. I don't think it's where the question gets answered. I think we're asking a new thing. You know, I, I always find that that there's always a question left at the end. It's not so much about like, ah, I have all the answers, so therefore the story's over. It's um, transfer something that's been transformed. And I think Joe has been transformed, but giving it a period at the end of either letting him die or become friends or... It's the same Monsters, Inc. ending of we just know that he's going back and saying hello. We don't know what that relationship is or anything. It's the door opens and I'm leaving and I'm living. I'm going out into my life. And that's that's the end. And what that final decision was is not the final decision, because as we've learned, every day, every moment is a chance to live. Mm-hmm. So. Why, where are we going to show you what he did at one specific moment? Because that's not what it's about. It's about each moment. Yeah, I, I read it as kind of a 
a call to action to the viewer to go live your life. You're leaving. I mean, when they're making the movie, you're leaving the movie theater was their perspective. <laughs> what you would be doing, <laughs> right. not leaving right. your couch to go to the kitchen and do the dishes. Um, but you two are leaving and you take in the breath of fresh air and you are going to go live your life. Yeah, I watching it the second time, I watched it again today, this morning, um, before recording, just to have it fresh in my mind. And after it was over, um, I turned and I looked out the window and I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was going to be sunny today. <laughs> like, this was the first time I looked out and it was almost lunchtime and I looked out. It's like, oh, sun's shining. So I took a mile long walk. Like, let's go. Like, let's let's live life let's look at the shadows on the on the ground let's feel the cold wintry air and feel the hot sun and how weird that is and you know in january weather like let, let's live let's live a little bit today um so i think you're right about that that call to action and i i, I felt it um and i think giving anything else would have felt wrong or cheap mm-hmm. in, in a sense. I think leaving it open is, is the better answer. I think the only other ending that I think isn't as good, but I also would have been content with would have been just him indeed moving into the great beyond and like his life is what it is or is what it was. He had his spark and he's found comfort in that. And I think I would have been fine with that too. I do like what they chose better. Um, But I I definitely, I don't want to see the ending where like he reunites with 22 as like a student in 10 years or something. I don't want to see that. Yeah. A time jump or something. Yeah. That can be in the head cannon. Cool. Awesome. I like that for them, but not for the story they're telling. I, I think for me also though, as he was, moving on to the great beyond you know they they give you the they got to have both they got to have he accepted it he lived life he had his chance he helped 22 like he's like i know what i'm doing and he's accepted it so instead of running away he's facing the light mm-hmm. um and they're like excuse me do you have a moment which is funny because no time doesn't exist in the great beyond or <laughs> Do you have a moment? I was like, that's funny. Um, <laughs> but but as he was going, all I could think about was like, that's great for him. And then I thought about his mom. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they just had this relationship. So it didn't become a heartwarming, oh, how wonderful. Now he knows what he is. He lived a good life. He's heading to the great beyond. I just saw his mother's pain. And the pain of everybody else. And and I was like, he has to go back if just to spend more time with his mom. Like, I can't. Like, how devastating for her to lose her husband. And now her son tragically dies. Like, that's no. I mean, yes, for sure. If they had just stuck with he moves to the great beyond ending, I would have wanted other things to build toward that ending. There'd have to be more about the mother would miss him and what that looks like. I mean, to a certain degree, I, I don't know that any relationship with between you and another living person ever ends. Those relationships don't have periods. There's not a story there to necessarily tell. They're just 
on pause until you see that person again. And sometimes they just stay on pause and we can't help that. And that's life. Um, mm. And if, if the movie had ended with him moving on to the great beyond, I think that there could have been something they said about that. Would it be a sadder, darker, less family friendly movie? <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's why they didn't choose that ending. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think there's something hopeful about, giving him another chance. Mm -hmm. He got another chance with the band. He got another chance, you know, to with the quartet. He let's give him another chance. He's figured things out. Let's It's so rare that good people get rewarded. Yes. Let's let's give somebody who's actually good. I didn't say perfect because man did he add to 22's trauma. Um, in what he did, maybe even the worst one, um, in a long line of self-important teachers, you know, but yeah, that's, that's a, that was a movie twist that I loved and lived for. And I think was so brilliant of taking, I don't know if in the creative process, if the scenes of 22 with the previous mentors were just to throw away joke at one point and then mm. it evolved to something more. But I love that watching the movie as a finished product, you see this throwaway joke of the montage of Gandhi and mother Teresa uh, rejecting 22. And that becomes her core story by the end. You go, Oh, this is horrifying. Mm -hmm. This isn't funny. I laughed at this. I am the same as Joe. I do not understand the person that is behind this and these feelings. Right. The, the really deep set trauma of I'm not enough. And obviously there's something wrong with me, which for my family, um, when I watched it with my wife, um, we, we saw 22 as somebody who is neurodivergent. We saw 22 as somebody who has autism. And I don't know if that's what they had um, in mind. I haven't seen that anywhere. Um, I've, I've tried to look it up, but it reads so well as somebody with autism that, um, and it could just be our family, you know, with with our experience and, and my son and um, everything that we know about it and everything that we question, but the way that 22 is, has anxiety about living and fear about leaving what's safe and leaving what's comfortable um, and Sensory overload, yes, New York is pretty sensory overload, but the experience that 22 has and going right and huddling down, um, also having trouble um, control of the body and like liking, you know, the wind and being silly and being saying inappropriate things, um, just being so um, honest and just speaking it, not to be mean, but just saying what 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 they're feeling and what's coming out. Um, 
what what else there was just um i don't know i don't know what's wrong with me i think 22 said at one point Mm -hmm. you know i don't have a purpose i don't have the spark like i there's just so much there that spoke to um some the that spoke to autism for us that um it just made it read a whole other way especially somebody who's so afraid of and been so traumatized and people just like, no, you're just awful. Like the way that you're being is just bad. And, and that the way that 22 acts is born out of trauma, anxiety, and fear. And that's a huge behavioral thing that behavior is a reaction and the strategies and things, their behavior is a way of dealing with and getting through their day. Um, and it, it's also interesting that Joe is willing to leave his comfort for the dream. And 22 doesn't understand why anyone would leave comfort mm. to, to take a risk. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, what about this is so good that you would put yourself in danger or remove yourself from comfort and safety and security, especially of the structure and the known thing of the you seminar? I know what's going to happen. I know how this goes. This is safe. This is fine. And everything about the world is risky and scary and unknown. Yeah. And and Joe has to see that for himself. Like, there's jazz there. Like, I'm jazzing. Like, that, that became a silly thing. But, yeah, there's there's the structure of things. But then there's the also the the improvisation that you have to do to get by because you don't know how it's going to go that particular day or that particular moment. You just have to be in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jazz is more than an aesthetic choice. It is a dramaturgical choice for this movie being about Mm. improvisation. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad that you and Rochelle could get that out of this. Whether whether they intended for twenty two to be neurodivergent or not, I think that I agree with all your points. I think you can see it that way. But I'm also glad that if they did intend for her to be that way, they didn't specifically say that because unlike unlike having the first African American lead in a Pixar movie, and they've spent a movie going into the diversity of that culture without mm-hmm. saying it's this one thing. I don't know. They could have done that with <laughs> autism in the same movie and mm-hmm. done justice to either one. I think right. I was just reading something last night about, Ooh. is it Shira where they specifically have an autistic character? Um, they haven't said that she is, but everyone okay. believes she is, and they meant her to be. Okay. Uh, 
it might have been that or another show where they specifically said that someone does have autism and there was I think a little bit of again I read this at a cursory glance not preparing for today's podcast but I think it's relevant <laughs> um, that there was a little bit of backlash from the community because it was almost read as saying like this person is this one thing and because we're only showing the one person in the show this thing is only one thing and I think that's the danger with um, tokenism uh, yeah tokenism <laughs> I think is the right word um, it's it's great to have a desire to show diverse people in your casts of animation anything really And I don't think that you need to have to say something about each of those things. But if you're only treating all those things as um, existing because they are diametrically opposed to the air quotes normal of the main characters, then you, your show or movie takes a stance of saying like, this autistic character is the only kind of autistic. And isn't it so great that we included this, this thing that is a stereotype of all autistic people? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that whether or not I almost said Agent 22 but that's stuck to it whether or not Soul 22 has autism or is autistic um, I think dramaturgically their behavior goes alongside um, somebody who's never lived. Like, it all works for who that character is dramaturgically, what they've experienced, what they haven't experienced, and this is their first time in a body, and this is their first... Um, this is your first time in a body, and the first time you're dealing with sound and light and the outside world is New York City, mm -hmm. downtown. Yes, that would be overwhelming for anybody but there there's something about the behavior and the the movement that just goes a little further for me and and what's said and whether or not it was working through the dramaturgy of how somebody would react to these things for the first time or you know let's let's see if this works for this character but i think Either way, it adds up to a really specific experience for a very specific character. Yeah. I, either way, you cut it. They they were really specific. Mm -hmm. so, so, I know we didn't talk a lot about the world building and the rules of soul, and I, I don't know if we need to get into, you know, like, okay, well, does this work to go through a seminar for this? You know, how, I just, I think the only thing I want to say about the world is you can tell that they went through very, um, very well and went through a lot of times to figure out rules and how things worked mm -hmm. and and how, what things meant and how you could bend, you know, how could a non-dead person end up back in that world? And, you know, there are a lot of different 
meaningful dramaturgical reasons for the world that they created. Yeah. But I don't I don't know what else to say beyond that personally. I mean, I promised at the beginning I would get back to like why I think Inside Out and this are duology in the spoiler zone. Let's talk about that. That is that is something I want to hear. <laughs> um so of course they're both about these internal solely or soul-like lives and they're two opposite ends of I won't say opposite ends of the life spectrum, but like two very separate parts of life phases. They're both Pete Doctor movies. Um, and I think even in just how they build it out, like many Pixar movies are related and respond to previous Pixar movies, but this one especially just feels like because Pixar is, um, I feel like I'm having like a, a Harvard moment. Harvard isn't in Boston per se. Pixar isn't in San Francisco, but it's adjacent to San Francisco. Um, it feels like if you're going to pick the two, the two cities of the U.S., it would be San Francisco and New York for them. And of course, Inside Out is in San Francisco, and Soul is in New York. So you have these two opposing coasts. Each movie says something about pizza. <laughs> Inside Out, of course, says that San Francisco ruined pizza. Um, and while I do think broccoli can be good on pizza, I will say there is no good pizza in San Francisco. Hot take. Cold take, if you will, because it's pizza. Um, and 22 has possibly her spark by eating pizza for the first time in a corporeal form. In New York. Famous for its pizza. Um, I think both movies have throwaway cat jokes that are both equally funny and uh, spoilers, uh, the, the cat joke is my favorite thing from Soul, uh, both because it is so funny and also because it dramaturgically answers questions very quickly in like a one second cutaway without like diverging too far down that rules path <laughs> of like, Joe is in the cat's body now. What happened to the cat? Well, obviously Pixar isn't going to say that animals don't have souls. So let's have one cutaway to a cat spirit. <laughs> on the moving walkway to the great beyond meowing softly and confused <laughs> cut back <laughs> to the story like cool animals have souls that cat is gone for now we're not worrying about the cat <laughs> but also that cat is dead uh, <laughs> but also i think that the the emotional the emotional climax of each movie are Two similar but different ideas. Inside out, we have the juxtaposition of this child spirit thing that is Joy as our main character. And the non-existent concept of uh, Bing Bong sacrifices himself so that the spirit soul character can live and stop from fading away. And the emotional climax of soul is flips that which I think says something about the adults who watched Inside Out. It's kind of a response to that idea. And that's why I think that these two movies are two different answers to the same question, if we're putting it in those terms. Um, because we have Joe, who's very much the alive person soul thing, and he's willing to sacrifice himself so the non-existent concept of 22 can live. And that's just such a nice flip for me. It's it's um, 
don't know if I have deeper words to say about that. I, I just thought that it's so interesting to see the same emotional reaction as an audience member to either side mm. of that story. Hmm. And I think you're right in terms of the same kind of question or the same kind of answer to the same kind of question about who we are and what we're supposed to do and what makes us us. And it's so interesting that when they're developing the idea of the spark, one of their ideas was the why. You know, instead of spark, they were using the term why. Um, but it was confusing to people. And I think it is, but there's this um, process of finding your why from Simon Sinek, um, where you, uh, this, this will connect, I promise, uh, <laughs> where you um, find your why so that way, no matter what you're doing in life, it will align with what you what you should be doing or what you're good at or what you know what your why you exist in the world so to speak and one of the one of the exercises that helps you figure that out is you figure out uh, three core stories to where you say yes these were seminal moments for me these are moments that helped create who I am today and I wouldn't be who I am without these moments and you just talk about those moments for hours and somebody listens and analyzes and finds themes and things and say, here's a statement for why you exist. This is the impact um, and influence that you have in the world based on that. And when I was going through some of this process, these core events that I was coming up with, I was like, well, this is like inside out. These are the, <laughs> these are the core memories of yourself that, you say, these, this is how I'm defined. I'm defined by these core memories and they make up part of myself. And then you realize for Riley, yourself changes. Like her core memories change. Different things become core memories. And it's not the same five forever. Mm -hmm. It adapts and changes. And it's not just, here's a happy memory. It's here's a happy sad they become more complex and more interesting. And it's you realize the complexity of self and the complexity of experience and emotion. And I think Soul is going along that same line. He has that one answer for, I'm a musician, I'm a jazz musician, I'm a pianist, you know, I, I'm a jazz pianist, and that's what I do, and that's where I go, and I'm going to be the greatest at it. And realizing that if you dial back from that specificity, um, I, <laughs> you, you're not, I'm not a jazz musician. Jazz music isn't the thing that makes me who I am totally. It's also music. It's also being with other people. It's also my relationship with my mom. It's also this relationship over here. It's also my neighborhood. It's also the way I get to work. It's also the subway. Like all these things make up your life and your experience. And somewhere in there, in all of that, is the meaning of your life. So, yeah, I think you're right about that inside out soul, like the 
larger self. Like you are, you are more than just the one thing that defines you. Riley's not just about hockey and Joe's not just about jazz musician. They're one slot that makes up who they are. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, they got maybe too attached to each of those things and mm-hmm. put too much of themselves into that. Right. It's like the 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 tragedy of my millennial generation of like, we all, for whatever reason, culturally have identify, we build our self-identity around our work and mm-hmm. we are living at a time when <laughs> doing the work and... Uh, having a job is less satisfying than ever. And sure, every generation has had that realization, but we ourselves have built our identity around the work. So it's this rebuilding now that we're like in our thirties. And I think entering the forties is here for some millennials of like, okay, my identity is at work. Who am I? Mm. And I think it's told most strikingly in the moment after Joe has had the transcendent experience of performing with Dorothea Williams on stage, he gets it, he gets his chance and he nails it. And he's gonna, he's like, what's next? Like I had that experience, I've done it. Like I've, I've reached the dream. Now what? She's like, you, you do it tomorrow. And then it's like, then he has the realization, oh, it's just a job. Like, it's not this transcendent, like, meaningful experience. As I would imagine, any dream that comes true ends up just being a day-to-day. Like, Pixar employees have a Monday morning and check their email. (laughs) And, you know, whatever dream you have about being a Disney animator, a Pixar animator, or being a writer on an animated show or movie, like, I know that we have these dreams... And then it's like, yeah, but at some point, you're probably on Slack sending gifts to somebody because you're like, I can't do this. And this scene is just grueling work. And it's not the dream. And it's not the best. And it's not where you derive the meaning of your life. It's just what you're doing. And hopefully, it aligns somehow with why you get up in the morning. Yeah. I measure a new job by how much time has to go by before I have my first day where I just don't want to be there. <laughs> and that's how I judge if I like the job or not. If it's in the first week, like, oh no, time to go. Uh, if it's months later, great. You can have a terrible, awful, no good day and know that it took that long before I hated it for the first time. Mm. And hopefully those days stay few and far between. Yeah, like you said, every job you're going to hate it at some point. But on the flip side also, we now know the uh, dramaturgical evolution of the Pixar Spark Shorts series on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, yeah, it's just a job. But also, like, what's the spark? Like, why are they at Pixar? Not everyone is Pete Doctor at Pixar. And I like mm. the idea of Spark Shorts evolving dramaturgically out of developing soul, probably, because it's giving more Pixar animators a chance to tell a story. Like what is, what is the spark that brought them to Pixar? What's the story they want to tell? What kinds of stories do they want to tell? It's not just one a year before the Pixar theatrical release. It's we can put as many as we want on Disney plus now let's showcase the talent that we have here. Hmm. 
It's exciting. Yeah. And I guess the very truly last thing I want to say is in related Pixar news, and speaking of Spark Shorts, we've previously talked about Bao on here and Domi Shu yes. directed Bao. And of course, Disney had their surprise, like, I mean, not surprise that they had like their investor day, but like surprise, we're announcing like the next five years of things we're doing. <laughs> and Domi Shi is doing uh, Turning Red, uh, two Pixar movies from now, I think. I think so. Yeah. So very excited here on this podcast for that movie. Uh, so you can go from fighting your spark to telling your spark short to having it be your job to make the movie. Hmm. Living the dream. Hashtag. If you can remember that you're, that you have dreams and are living them and are living just in general. Yeah. That's impossible after I can go outside again. Right. (laughs) Chris, did you have a favorite thing about soul? I mean, the, the most, the biggest emotional moment for me was the sensory explosion leaving the hospital. I think that that just lands so beautifully well. Um, but really, my favorite my favorite thing is um, the bug zapper sound um, at the Great Beyond <laughs> because it does so many things. It undercuts the moment. And you know how much I love undercutting a moment. So a grand, big, grandiose moment of going toward the light, the soul's head for it, and then you get the bug zapper sound. And it accomplishes two things. It it makes you laugh, and it creates a real sense of fear (laughs) and justification to be afraid for Joe to run from it at that moment, at that time. And nothing else would have that quick shorthand to be so frighteningly scary and universally scary for everyone to be like, okay, run. That is not right. Um, so it gives him a character justification to run, but also be really hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't even catch that, but thinking of it now, like, yeah, that's a very deep sound aesthetic choice. That's really very simple. <laughs> Um, mine ever to spoiled is the, the cutaway to the cat meowing because it accomplishes so much, but also because I legitimately had to pause the movie because I was laughing too much. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> my husband has already found the gif of the cat meowing and sent it to me and I've saved it to my phone. <laughs> so just have the quiet cat soul. <laughs> Not even fighting either. Just like, okay. <laughs> Where am I? It's like the scared cat being carried away. (laughs) Oh, so lovely. So thank you, Pixar. Everybody that worked on the film, the hundreds of people who worked on this film. Shall we talk homework time? Oh, yes, let's. For next time, because we are now a Disney Plus and Netflix podcast only about animation (laughs) storytelling. Um, Another thing available on Disney Plus, but much older. Uh, We're talking Gargoyles, 
season three and or known as the Goliath Chronicles, depending on how old you are. But on Disney Plus, it's just called Gargoyles. It's season three. You can find it there. Um, specifically, we're going to talk about the first episode, The Journey, and the seventh episode, And Justice for All. Um, but we'll probably move into spoiler territory for anything and everything Gargoyles. Hashtag we live again. Hashtag keep binging Gargoyles. Um, <laughs> hashtag Gargoyle Sona. Is that a thing yet? We're doing Sonas for everything. It's like Soul Sonas. I don't know. Um, yeah, so watch some Gargoyles and uh, be prepared to listen to me nerd out and Chris not get a word in at all. That'd Next episode. <laughs> As always, we want to say thank you to Nigel Coutinho, our sound engineer, and thank you to Jacob Reed and the Champagne Drops for our theme music. You can find us on Twitter at WG Animated, and you can find all of our show notes at RaidersGetAnimated.Podbean.com. <laughs> it's so gratifying. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>